Well, welcome to this week's edition of the Week in Sports Cars from the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. Um, well, we always open the show, or rather Marshall normally does, but he's on IndyCar duties this week uh, by saying thank you, of course, to Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers and to TorontoMotorsports.com uh, for their continued support for what we regard as this effort. Uh, it is a slightly different tone to the show, uh, as you can by the fact that I'm leading this one, uh, and welcoming back to the show um, my colleague on DailySportsCar.com, Stephen Kilby. All right, Stephen. Yeah, all right, Graham. How are you doing? Uh, we're all good. Um, we're recording this from the office at the bottom of the garden. It's not shed. And it comes, Stephen, ahead of an extraordinary weekend with the kickoff of the uh, WC's European programme, Portimao. We'll be leaving for that in about 24 hours' time. Uh, with the first of the sprint races for uh, IMSA's WeatherTech Sports Car Championship at Long Beach and the start as well of the Super GT Championship in Japan. Uh, so lots and lots of goodies on uh, TV and streaming. Lots of cracking stuff to come with the stuff you'll be providing for uh, for Delhi Sports Car and Racer.com for WEC for the stuff that Arjo O'Connell will be providing for IMSA and Super GT. So, my only question to you is, why are you recording this podcast when you could be typing? Uh, I can't answer that question, and to be honest, I'm going to grab my keyboard and put it on my lap and start typing now. Typing while you're asking that's questions. Quite a, that's quite a horrible, evil look, that is. A <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> little bit of news kicking around today before we get into questions, and apologies, we did have a quite a late... Uh, call for questions this week. That's entirely down to my own incompetence, and it's absolutely nothing to do with either Marshall nor indeed Daniel Summerskill, who's been stood down for this week. So we're going to sort of spitball uh, questions coming from Twitter and from Facebook. First bit of news: great news for the WC's future hypercar uh, entry, which is the Asota Fraschini, the Alotta Franchitti's car, um, the Tipo Six on track for the very first time at Vallelunga, uh, the track close to Rome, the Ita- uh, Italian capital, at all, uh, of course. Car looks good. Mm, it does look good. It does It does look interesting. It's um, It's always nice to see a car in bare carbon, looking straight out of a wind tunnel for the first time, wondering what it's going to look like in full race trim. There's some really nice pictures and some cool video that they've put up, and yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? It is. And, you know, we uh, managed to catch up with Claudio Barro, the MD of Isato Roschini, uh, before the test, uh, this is the first chassis. Second chassis has completed its required crash test. That chassis will be now rebuilt, they believe, as the first of the Stradale versions, the road car versions. The third chassis, which is already at Michelotto and is sort of Raschini's uh, facility there, will be the race car. And they are still hoping that uh, race debut could come as early as uh, Monza. There's a lot of work to do before they can get to the, uh, that point of commitment. And uh, what Claudio was telling us is, yes, they want to do those three races. They want to do the final three races of this season uh, with, of course, Vector Sport, their race partner. But if they don't manage to do that, it's not such a big deal for them just to do the two flyaways, that being Fuji, of course, and Bahrain. So they're, you know... It has to be said, pretty upbeat about things right now. They're not underestimating the challenge of testing and tuning that car so that all the complex systems talk to each other uh, as best they possibly can. 
Um, but the looming uh, issue for them, of course, is homologation. Why looming? Because the point at which you put the final full stop on that form and send it in is the point at which you're locking yourself in for effectively four years. So they've got to get it right. They're fully aware of that. They are rushing, without a shadow of a doubt, but they're not charging forward without their eye on the prize. And their eye on the prize is less to do with when that car hits the track and more to do with a full season in 24. And, you know, we'll wait and see. There are some questions about some of their more boutique if you like, um, competitors. We'll come to those in due course. The other bit of news, though, Stephen, um, we've got this, this madness that is a four-week series of uh, European races with WC followed by the ELMS opener um, at Barcelona and the prologue test before that, then Spa and round three for the WC and what should have been round two for the ELMS. Now, we have got a question about that, but just worth you just letting the, the listener know exactly what's happened today and why. It, hashtag blame Formula One, isn't it? Um Building work at the circuit and on the pit building for the and the paddock area has meant that they've they say postponed but effectively cancelled that race and it remains to be seen what they're going to do in place of it because it's a it's a health and safety issue isn't it that's what they're what they've told the teams I believe there's been a team call with all the team managers and the president of the circuit um, where they've discussed potential options there's nothing yet. Um, all we know right now is that there won't be a race at Imola, so it won't be a four-week extravaganza I, as it stands. I, I'm pretty certain it's not a postponement. We will not be going to Imola by the look of things. And we'll come to that because I know there is a question a bit later in the show. Um, fair play, actually, to the circuit president at Imola for coming onto that call and making his apologies. But that that has cost those teams significant amounts of money in lost um, uh, deposits and bookings for what's always expensive at that time of year in Italy and travel, of course. So hopefully that's money they can recoup. But lots of options on the table. I know there's a question or two about what those options might be. So we'll come to that. We'll crack on, though, before we get into that, with uh, some of the questions that came in through social media. And um, I think in the, in the, the fine tradition of these things... It's going to be you bowling them at me like a frenzied gibbon. <laughs> it's good to have our DSC's frenzied gibbon back. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, the first one on the list is is from Right Turn Lover, and it is about the LMS race. Okay. Should, should we go straight into it? Go for it. Yeah, see? So Right Turn Lover asks... Is there any speculation on where the replacement uh, for the cancelled ELMS round at Imola will take place, pre or post Le Mans, and could it be the Red Bull Ring that gets a call-up? Uh, I think the answer is what's looking most likely at the moment is we will have a doubleheader. Now, it isn't quite as simple as it sounds, because, of course, it's not just the European Le Mans series that's affected. It's also the Michelin Le Mans Cup, and it's also the Ligier European series. So that's four races we're not going to get at Imola that will need to find their way. I know there's there's been some uh, uh, spirited discussion about where that might happen. Uh, so I think the likelihood is we may well see some form of double header for the European Le Mans series. Uh, there's been a variety of conversations today, and I've heard from teams that favour Portimao. I've heard one team that favours doing a double header at uh, Aragon. I've heard a further team, in fact, more than one that favours a double header at uh, Paul Ricard. I think actually a double header. If we, even though we're forced into this situation for the series finale, could be quite fun. Less 
confident that we're going to see a double header for everything at one race meeting. For me, it seems to make sense that you know you can spread that load, can't you? With the Legio European Series, we could have triple headers. If double headers, remember, in every race apart from Aragon, where there is no Legio European Series or uh, Michelin and Mon Cup, because of course those two series race at Le Mans. For me, makes sense to do triple headers. Just slot in what are effectively short endurance races. So maybe a triple header at Spa. I don't think anybody would complain about that. Maybe a triple header at uh, Port Ricard for the Ligiers, where it's usually a pretty strong entry for them. And as for Michelin Le Cup, well, think of her number. Where I don't think they should go for either of those two series is Aragon. Why? Because they weren't expected to be there it is quite a trek. Um, all the accommodations booked already, mm. uh, and in August that's going to be extremely pricey and extremely difficult to get. So for me, the opportunities lie with the other four rounds, if you like. Uh, well, three rounds actually, because you can't do Barcelona; it's too late. So we are looking, I think, at a mixture of Portimao, of Spa and of poor Ricard to spread the load of the additional uh, Michelin Le Mans Cup race that will need to be put in somewhere, uh, the additional European Le Mans Series race, and the two um, Ligia European Series races. But either way, I know they're working hard to get to that point. Uh, this is a situation that came something out of the woodwork, or rather looking at the picture I've posted on Twitter today, the steelwork and concrete work that's been added for Formula One uh, into the paddock it came down to being a, you're quite right a health and safety issue that uh, there's a lot of work going on looks to me like that work is not running to time and they need the extra time and they certainly don't need the better part of a week with that building site covered in race cars and transporters and any risk that might come to people being there so not great but I think the correct decision uh, on balance. As for the uh, the answer to the question, what about Red Bull Ring? What about Silverstone, for instance? I think the answer is doesn't quite work at this point for either of those. It makes more sense to piggyback at this stage um, another race event. Why? Well, to be blunt, because the calendar is pretty darn full. I took a quick look down just our Delhi sports car calendar earlier and... There's more or less nowhere that isn't covered by, you know, uh, another clash with the IMSA race. Uh, you know, there's WEC, there's major endurance racing and other events all around through the summer. There's not a lot of wriggle room. And that's without anything else that those circuits are booked for already. And you've got to factor in the fact there's a lot of AMs who have business commitments Correct. that they would have to change. And then you're getting into people missing out on championships because of clashes and stuff like that. There'd be a lot of unhappy people no matter where you put that race. It, it's not a great situation, but uh, what I would say is that numbers of the people that I've spoken to today um, are happy that they had full and clear communication of what had happened and what the issue was. And my guess is that we'll get to uh, Barcelona in, what, just over a week's time, in fact, under a week's time before we land in Barcelona for the prologues of Michelin Le Mans Cup and the ELMS. And I would guess by then we might get a clearer position. Mm. What's next? What's next is a question from Two Seats, Four Wheels, who says, if you could change one regulation, sporting or technical, in IMSA or the WC, what would it be? Uh, you know what? It's a weird one, isn't it? I 
I'm sure there were those people who go like, but you said. Um, there's nothing that springs to mind. OK, what I would say, I'll ask you first in a moment. In fact, I'll ask you first now. What would you change? So I would go on the IMSA camp. I'm not a fan of the wave by full course caution, try and get everybody on the same lap rules in IMSA and the way that that affects races. We had a long conversation in the lounge, I think it was, after Sebring, comparing and contrasting the two races at Sebring between WC and IMSA. And I think we came to the conclusion, actually, the WC race would have been better, better with the IMSA, IMSA rules. Set, and the IMSA uh, race would have been but, better than the WC rules. What, what I don't like about the way that races pan out in IMSA, in, especially in the longer ones like Rolex and Sebring sometimes, is you just can't build a lead. And it just, I, as much as it can make for a really thrilling or chaotic finale as we saw at, at Sebring, I quite like the fact that it's a bit more pure to have the ability to to sort of lap the field, hold onto a lead and, you know, award reward the teams that have the fastest car and the most reliable car. It is, you know, it's it's a cool story sometimes, isn't it, when you've got a car that's been four laps down and had an incident in hour one of a 12-hour, 24-hour race, coming back onto the lead lap and getting a podium or a win. But it for me, it kind of nullifies 23 of the 24 hours at a lot of these races. So that's what, that's what I would choose. What about, for you... Have you thought about with the tyre rules in WC now changing, mm -hmm. um, where we've got the, no tyre warmers anymore and, and it being cold? Uh, what about burnouts out of the pit lane? Uh, we can have burnouts out of the pit lane now. For a, there's that, that's gone uh, for WC, so they can do that now. For me, glad you reminded me of that, I think there was a missed opportunity. And someone from the WC can take me into a quiet room and beat me senseless if I'm talking nonsense. But I do think an opportunity was missed here why are we doing the cold tyres but because why are you wasting energy is it a little bit of greenwashing whatever it might be i just think they missed an opportunity to do what motorsport is good at which is to set a challenge to set a technological challenge how can you do this and remain green how can you make a contribution towards that the safety that warmer tyres inevitably brings in most situations so i think this has been an issue that's been rolling in for years. Uh, I just think what could have happened is they could have offered a technology challenge here to the industry and to academia um, to come up with a green solution for this. And I think that could have brought two benefits. It could have brought a benefit in terms of us still being able to do this and a benefit in terms of the publicity for being an industry, for being a sport that is a technological laboratory and there's there's few enough instances where we can still do that with the way the modern sport is and i think we've missed an opportunity to do exactly that well think if you got the patent for the design of a Ooh. completely green way of heating tires you could be supplying every single championship around the world yeah i think that the one thing i would say i mean aside from that and you know that is a political decision it's a policy decision i don't disagree with making those sorts of decisions we could talk about the counter arguments and the the kind of other things that go on until the cows come home for me the big deal with regulations is this whenever a regulation is changed i always want to see why it's changed what is it you're looking to actually achieve by changing that regulation i think we're we're not great as a sport uh, for explaining explaining the reasoning behind a change being made sometimes it's blindingly obvious but sometimes it's not 
Uh, and, you know, we're not great about not having uh, regulations uh, in place that are clear as to why there's been a change from a year or two years or three years back. That's the change I'd like to see. It's the same with, you know, in the past where we've had things like EOT and for that matter, BOP changes, balance performance changes uh, and what used to be equivalent to technology back in LMP1. Explain why you've made the change and explain the difference you think that change is going to make. It's not difficult. And the fact that there's been a resistance to doing that doesn't tell a great story, is the honest answer. For me, um, I think you know we should be judging decisions on, on their quality. And if you've got um, a, a level of understanding, a level of trust with the audience about why it is you're making a change, I think you've got a much better chance of taking the audience with you further down the line. Mm. What's next? Next up is a question on Twitter from Koi501, who says, if Glickenhouse's pace doesn't get better, will the programme be parked? What are the chances of a private team buying cars and running them? Um, that's, that, that, that goes from what are the chances to, well, can somebody buy the cars? I'm sure if you offered Jim Glickenhouse um, a sensible amount of money, my understanding is... Last time I spoke to Jim about this, it was something like two and a half million euros for um, a Glickenhaus hypercar, something like that. He owns one car, or rather his family owned one car, and his friend, colleague and customer, HK Motorcars, owned the other car, the 709 car. I think that's correct. Um, so, first and foremost, where are we and why are we there? Things have moved on, okay? Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Jim was somewhat dispirited at Sebring. I think he'd seen that the the big factory teams have made a leap forward in terms of their pace and their quality, and that was clearly being laid at the altar of the testing they've been able to undertake. And that's just not a place that he has been, and neither does it seem to be a place where he's willing to go. Ultimately, that's going to be his choice. It is very literally his money, it's his choice. He's made a massive contribution to laying the foundations for the hypercar class. It's given us some things to shout at and to scream at at Le Mans and elsewhere. He's come up with, you know, one of the all-time great Le Mans performances. You know, a truly privately funded effort, finishing on the podium overall uh, at Le Mans against, if not a strong um, hypercar grid, a very strong P2 grid. And that's no uh, no, no uh, easy thing to overcome. You know, look at what happened in LMP1 days uh, with Jackie Chan DC Racing. So it's a tough thing to do. What do I think? I think he'll be assessing his options. I think he'll be assessing his options and looking where things go. Um, you know, I've been reading over your shoulder your um, preview for Portimao that I think is hitting Delhi Sports Car on Thursday morning. And I think your conclusion is quite correct which is the game has moved on we've got some very big name teams and manufacturers involved and we're not in a position where you need to skew a balance of performance process to ensure competition between two three four cars because we're not in that marketplace anymore we're into double figures and it's going to get bigger uh, so i think jim and his uh, his team have got some decisions to make. For me, there's no doubt there's more pace in that car. It's a matter of whether or not you're going to put the investment in to, lock, uh, to unlock that. Addicted to Racing is next. Um, says, 
So I heard there's a new safety car procedure for Le Mans. Yeah. Um, how's it going to work, and what will the impact of it be? And also, will there be a Twisk meetup at Le Mans this year? It would be pretty fun to meet up with you guys and other listeners. Well, it's delighted to hear, first and foremost, that MP will be with us uh, at Le Mans. We'll Woo-hoo! be there. Yes, indeed. We'll be there through Test Weekend and for the entire period. I would hope we might get some form of opportunity to do a little something. Quite where and when that will be, we'll have to wait until we find out what my TV schedule is, what your journalistic schedule is, and what uh, Marshall's um, commitments are as well with his variety of clients that are going to be uh, at the Le Mans 24 Hours uh, this year. But I hope we can do something. There's always a chance to meet up on pit lane. In that five minutes we've got between working. What I would say is, if you do see any of us at any given point... Please say hello. We genuinely do love to see uh, people who you know, have enjoyed what it is that we brought to you, whether or not that's the written word, the video, or these podcasts. We genuinely do want to say hello. Um, I'd like to think we're pretty approachable if we're not stupendously busy. Obviously, if you see me talking to a camera with a microphone in my hand, don't disturb me at that point, because it's going to be embarrassing for everybody. But other than that, if I'm walking around, as I often do, talking to people, taking a look into garages... Uh, please just come along, tap me on the shoulder and say hi. I'm sure Stephen feels the same. I absolutely know that uh, MP does as well. Um, for the, uh, In terms of what are you looking for, I'm the truly good-looking older guy. Um, you know, slims, felt. I used to be that. Uh, Marshall is significantly larger, usually with a check shirt, usually with a racer cap uh, or a Marshall Pro podcast cap. And... Um, yeah, you won't miss him in a crowd. He's he's a one-man crowd, isn't he, really? <laughs> and Stephen will likely be wearing either racer or DSC garb. If not, it will be some failed American football team uh, that uh, adorns him. Um, what is it this week? <laughs> it's it's never changed, Graham. It's always been the Green Bay Packers. Come on. Sorry. How long have you known me? Come on. Sorry. Come on. Disgraceful. It's them and the Spurs. I mean, it's disgraceful. Just dragged up. The boy was dragged up. What's next? Oh, sorry. There was another part. <laughs> it was about question. the safety car procedure. Safety car procedure. Right. So there is, yes, a change to safety car, which basically means we're going to be moving to a single safety car with wave by. Um, I've got some time uh, I'm asking for this coming weekend to get someone to explain to me what they believe is the problem they're going to be solving there. There's there's pluses and there's minuses to every single system. I think everybody deserves an opportunity to hear from the horse's mouth what it is they're changing. Uh, what sorry, what not what it is they're changing to. We know what they're changing to. It's effectively a single safety car system um, and splitting the classes with a wave by. Um, I understand what that might change. I have a couple of questions about the man UCI with that and we'll be very happy to bring that to you for next week's show next up Gustavo Bamba who says hello favourite duo of endurance racing stuff crushingly name. disappointed no. I'm so sorry Gustavo no, no. I'm really sorry about this <laughs> Gustavo's now get yeah, the pistol down Gustavo yeah. <laughs> yeah, step away from the ledge <laughs> he says how long until we know what Inter Europol are going to do next year will it be hypercar related and will there be any announcements this year at Le Mans there's a team that did well at Sebring my goodness they did they did really well I think they'll be buoyed up by that so the answer is I know what they have been looking at how quickly they can get there they certainly do have ambitions in hypercar what I would say is that was ambitions in hypercar before the commercial realities of hypercar became clear. What do I mean by that? 
I mean that with the supply chain delays, with the kind of the areas that uh, that the post-COVID era inflicted upon us, there's little doubt that the running cost of those cars went through the roof. Uh, and I mean absolutely through the roof. So it would not be a surprise if some teams delayed their ambitions in that regard. Those costs will stabilise and come down without a shadow of a doubt as things improve. Uh, but yes, into Europol, I've been interested in looking at that marketplace. No, they're not ready to announce anything immediately yet. Um, as for announcements at Le Mans, I think they will be legion. Um, I think you're going to see the ACO uh, and the uh, and LMEM uh, just keeping their powder dry on some things, but there's no shortage of positives to come. We know we've got new cars coming because we know what those cars are, the Alpine, the Lamborghini. I wouldn't be remotely surprised to see or hear more about those programmes uh, there. WRT and their BMW programme, I think it's highly likely we'll see and hear more about that at around that point. There's calendar announcements to come as well. Obviously, that could be that we get part of that uh, at Le Mans. And then, as we've already dealt with on Twisk in previous week, uh, weeks, uh, we've we've got some astonishing historic stuff to come at Le Mans this year. It's going to be a proper festival. Mm, it really is. Cannot wait. Um, Snatch Tractor is next. Do you think it's possible we'll see LMP return to an open chassis regulation? Uh, LMP? Now it's it's LMP2. Okay. Apologies. Um, now it's looking likely that we'll be saying bye bye to the Weckity Weck. The Weckity Weck, which is the official name of the FI World Endurance Championship on the weekend sports cars, despite the. How can I put this? It, it does tend to, to push a couple of people to the brink, but to, we made a. What is it? It's not a unilateral decision if two of you make it, but uh, between Marshall and I, we've decided we're going to keep on with the Weckity Weck because we find it funny. And that, frankly, is all that matters. Mm. So the answer is, if by open chassis uh, you mean something other than Orica, yes. If you mean open chassis by something other than the four chassis manufacturers selected, then the answer is no. So let's make that clear. Uh, Number one, do I expect WEC to announce that um, the LMP2 class will be no more in the championship. Yes, I do uh, for next year. And a very simple reason for that. Uh, We are expecting something close to 20 full-season cars in hypercar next year. That leaves about enough for two cars per more or less every manufacturer in LMGT3 in 2024. So even if you are squeezing... Uh, in between, you, it, there's barely any point in having a tiny single numbers uh, LMP2 class in between, and there's lots of positives for having that two class system. So, what then happens to LMP2? Well, contrary to what some other media have uh, written and said, it is not going away, not in any way, shape, or form. It will absolutely still be at Le Mans, and uh, very senior sources have indicated to me that they believe probably about 15 LMP2 cars at future Le Mans uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, The vast majority of those will come from the European Le Mans series, and again, to be confirmed, but I would expect something of the order of the top 10 in ELMS's LMP2 class in future years would be also invited to Le Mans. Plus, um, you'd expect the Asia Le Mans series champions and very likely still an IMSA car or two uh, to be making their way there uh, as well. 
it's absolutely the case that the WEC, sorry, WEC, the ACO are reeling in um, what previously was a pretty generous number of automatic invitations. Uh, was up to about 17 or 18 a couple of years ago. It's going to be down towards the kind of grazing double figures level with a number of the auto invitations going away. Um, but LMP2 certainly is still part of it. As to what LMP2 is going to look like, at the end of the homologation of the current cars, it will be new chassis, four new chassis available. It is the four chassis that currently form the basis of the spine for the LMDH cars that operate in MSS GTP Championship and in the WC's Hypercar Championship. So that is Orica, who currently, of course, um, supplied the basis for the Acura and in the future we'll do the Alpine. It is Delara that currently look after the chassis for the BMW and for the Cadillac. It is Multimatic and the Porsche 963 is based on that chassis and it is Ligier who will be providing the, the chassis for the forthcoming Lamborghini. So they are the four it's sort of a reset, isn't it? What we don't know yet is what's going to be the power plant in the back. We don't know anything about that. It's very possible that we'll hear a lot more about LMP2 in June. It may be that they decide not to do it there and to do it at a future date beyond that. But I think there's every possibility we'll hear about that sooner rather than later. So LMP2 absolutely is not going away. That will still be there. It'll effectively be a reboot of the formula we've got now with the options for four different chassis and it will be i've zero doubt a spec tire manufacturer um, for the cars and a spec engine as has been done very successfully with gibson um, in the current formula since 2017. the when are we going to hear soon um, what are we going to hear might be that we get a phasing of that it might be that we are told that the current um Formulae is transitioning out of WC aside from Le Mans uh, earlier than we hear the details of the technical package for the new cars. Uh, let's move on to, to Tommy G next. Uh, he says, with the competition for places on the grid so hot now, do you think we'll see the usual situation of people pulling out of the WC after Le Mans? Surely it would compromise their place in 2024. I don't think we've seen that. Mm. Yeah, I think the, the big change I mean, we've seen uh, in recent years, we used to get a lot of that. There used to be a lot of teams from, what was that country in Europe? Big country, just across the channel. Nice mm. cheese. Um, Belgium? No, no, no. That's the other one. Can't remember the name of it. But yes, we used to get a lot of teams from that country that would turn up to Le Mans and um, bugger off, basically. But now, that's more or less gone away. The closest we've had to that in recent years, um, we've had it with maybe the Ginetta effort. We had it certainly with uh, with Glickenhaus after Monza, but they'd always made it clear they were likely wouldn't do the flyaways. Uh, and having supported it through the COVID years, I think we could give them that one. But um, with the process now of a full invitation WEC, and that you've got to earn most of those places. They've only really been allocating invitations to somewhere between 7 and 11 cars over the last number of years. That opportunity to really annoy the ACO by 
not supporting things. And by the way, to earn that opportunity, you've got to have a full season entry somewhere. You don't go to Le Mans unless you've got a full season entry in one of the nominated championships, which includes, by the way, the IMSA Weathers Exports Car Championship. Uh, it includes European Le Mans Series, obviously the WEC, where they all get an entry anyway, the Michelin Le Mans Cup, um, and the Asia Le Mans Series. They are the series you must be part of. There is one change to that, which is this uh, entry that's going to be coming for, I think I'm right, the Pro-Am class? Or is it is it Gold Cup now of... Um, the GT World Challenge Europe will be getting an entry next year um, for their championship winning team, not driver team. So I think the the answer there is that horse has sort of bolted. And what that's given us is an, an entry list, as in the list of teams that have entered the championship, the, the, the race, that is smaller than it used to be. It used to regularly get into the 80s and 90s for what was previously sub-60 places. But the truth of the matter is, you're absolutely right, Tommy, is that very many of those teams were doing maybe one or two races, whereas now we've got a stable list that is smaller, probably just into the 70s, but it's a stable list. Mm. You don't tend to lose teams mid-season. And that's been pretty remarkable bearing in mind the world that we've been living in. Mm. It's the, the introduction of WC and, and IMC back in the day really did put a stop to that weird brief period where we had LMP1 oh, factories coming brief. in. Oh, doing, no, no. Yeah, but we had that time when there was like Audi and Peugeot would just come yeah. and do Sebring and yeah, then yeah, Spa yeah. and then Le Mans uh, and just... That's fair it. enough. That, that's fair enough. And, you know, and, uh, and yes, has it stopped some of the kind of the, the weird and wonderful that we used to enjoy coming and failing? Yes. Um, has it stopped the nonsense of people promising the world and then delivering nothing? Yes. I think on balance, it's been a good thing. It's a little bit like, isn't it, the debate about balance of performance. You know, you, I don't think very many people are a fan of balance of performance, but what, what is undeniable is that it has certainly stabilised and, um, and grown grids because people can stay in contention. The problem is when politics comes into it. And in this instance, it's really simple. The ACO, like it or loathe it, and some people love it and some people really don't, it's their race. And they will make that decision. They will make a decision. uh, And there is always a reason behind that decision. They may not always communicate that reason or those reasons, but there is always a reason behind the decisions they make. And it's got to be said, still to this day, whatever else it is, it's the greatest insurance race in the world. Uh, John Schultz next uh, he says after you briefly mentioned the Hankook Farmbacker cars in that last episode is there any possibility of the tyre wars returning to the WC and IMSA at some point personally I think it would be a particularly good fit for GTD Pro uh, I think the answer is if I'm right and I'd have to double check the current regulations GTLM was, was still an open championship but after the falcon team left no one used it i don't think it is anymore no, i don't think it is anymore it is what, I, what i'd say to you is this is the competition let's deal with imsa for the moment we'll come to um aco world in a moment the contribution in terms of the the competitive level and the commercial side of things, the promotional side of things that Michelin have made since they've been such a key partner of IMSA has been absolutely enormous. No doubt whatsoever about it. 
and the quality of the product has been astonishing. You, you remember, Stephen, you know, in your time with DSC, um, before that break, just every lap record going. Mm. Every single lap record was tumbling at every single race circuit. Uh, and remember the Rolex the year before, yeah. Michelin with all the tire problems on the banking. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it it changed the championship. It did. It, so it, I think it, that, it, so. The, so the reality is, no. Um, I think there's been a. Yeah, you've got to look at it this way. IMSA is part of the NASCAR opera, uh, organization, and who else is out there that might like a bit of a stab at uh, getting a class or two in IMSA? Well, the answer is Goodyear might, but then Goodyear are the tire supplier for NASCAR. If you're NASCAR as the overarching body, you've got the best of both worlds. You've got Goodyear and you've got Michelin. Why would you mess with that? Why wouldn't you leave them in a position where they've got that platform to promote their product with these two massive um, products? And, you know, obviously NASCAR, enormous. And IMSA, no doubt whatsoever, growing in popularity, growing in reach, and that's a good thing for Michelin. Moving across to the uh, WC world, the ACO world, different commercial uh, model. Uh, we've got the uh, the tenders that have gone by class and by championship, and um, we've got uh, Michelin in a pretty dominant position in the hypercar class. We heard just last week uh, that the LMGT3 class, which we expect to be the other half, if you like, of the grid for the WC moving forward, will will go to Goodyear. And we wait, and I think we'll hear quite quickly what the situation is going to be with the rest of the ladder, with the European Le Mans series and with uh, the Asian Le Mans series. Might there be um, you know, a, another company coming in? And we've talked on last week's show I know about the prospects of maybe Hancock being involved there. We know Pirelli has taken a look. <sighs> maybe there might be something in the future where a third party gets a bit of a foot in the door, but there doesn't seem to be any urgency about that. What it comes down to, from the point of view of uh, the race organisers, is does it make commercial sense for them? Is the product good enough? Are your suppliers, in this case Goodyear and Michelin, um, moving quickly to accommodate what's been a pretty rapid fire series of regulatory changes? And the answer is yes, they have. Um, so you sort of would ask the question, why would you mess with it? I think we've, with the exception of something like Super GT and NLS, uh, the, the VLN that was Nürburgring 24 hours, that era's sort of gone, and I mourn it in very many ways. The BOP era has kind of had a big effect here because it, BOP in a class with multiple tyre tire manufacturers all supplying different it, teams it, it, becomes well, you know, just so difficult. I think people forget it's not that long ago where the Blompen Endurance Series had Michelin and Pirelli. The, the Spa 24 Hours had both of those way into the GT3 era. Um, and it just makes that process trickier without a shadow of a doubt so um completely understand why you're asking i sort of share that wistful look back at you know those standout maverick programs from hankook from falcon etc uh, but i think those days may be gone i do miss it in p2 though i do miss the yeah. days where you go to each circuit and it was dunlop versus michelin and there were sometimes it was yeah and then the you'd get a wet race a cold yeah. race etc i do miss that but i think it's gone mate uh, Big Macs next. 
Uh, sorry if this has been asked before, but uh, LMDH cars allowed Evo Jokers, and if so, can they be carried over to IMSA? I think the answer is yes. It is all about making sure that you can hit the performance window. Um, this is still really, really, really early in the career of these cars, and with more to come. Uh, there is clearly a massive push for as much sameness as possible between the two championships. But you spoke, I think you've got a piece coming to DSC later this week from Jonathan Dugan, haven't you, from uh, from the Porsche Penske uh, efforts. And I know this is a point you raised with him. Yeah, we... We, I just effectively asked him, what's what's the scale of the task if you want to transfer a, an, an IMSA-bound LMDH car to the WC, like if you're going to bring a car over for Le Mans? Um, and it's, you know, they believe at Porsche it's about a three to five day task, and it's mainly electronics. There's very minor differences beyond that. It's it's all about just rewiring the car effectively. Yeah, I think we saw at um, Sebring there were some very minor principally rear aero different differences on the LMDH spec hypercars from the GTP uh, cars and that's all to do with where the homologation is done it's to do with the performance window etc etc but relatively speaking it's tiny differences you can have a car and with effectively a second kit that car can race both in the, the Le Mans 24 hours and the Rolex 24 hours without a shadow of a doubt uh, but again, watch this space for just a few more details edging out about a couple of these programs. I know you've been busying yourself with digging a little bit deeper into a couple of the programs that are somewhat transcontinental, uh, transatlantic, and we'll have a little bit more, I hope, during Portimao weekend that gives you a little bit more of a flavour of what Stephen's been digging into. A couple more left? Yeah, a couple more left. Uh, let's go to GTP Enjoyer. Love that name. That's great. Um, do you think Peugeot will improve on their issues that they had at Sebring? Because it seems that something new is always breaking on the car. <laughs> uh, the answer is yes, I do think we're going to see an improvement. Um, oh boy, there better be. Uh, putting aside the pretty woeful performance of the the cars uh, at the season opener, they should expect to go much, much better at Portimao, where they've tested extensively. They've had a big test. Paul Ricard, I mm-hmm. think was it? Paul That's Ricard, yeah. So Paul Ricard with an endurance test there. And also, I think you would expect that they will have been testing as well their new hydraulic uh, gear box actuator to replace what's been a problematic electronic system uh, with that. Uh, so I think the answer there is we would expect them to turn up and be far close to the pace, as we saw they were, remember, at Bahrain at the end of last season. They were much closer to the pace. They still had that reliability issues. And again, that, if I remember rightly, was the gearbox actuator as well, possibly on both cars. Uh, but if you recall, the the lead of those two cars, from memory, Paul de Resta, uh, was pretty much in touch with the lead of the race um, before something went pop. So look for a distinctly better level of performance for those Peugeots. Here's the point. If they're not, then I think they've got big trouble. Mm. No, me too. Uh, final question. Ooh. Sam Piper, who says, uh, with a limited number of places available to a potentially large number of GT3 teams in the future, um, should WC seasons uh, involve promotion and relegation? Um, it's a good question, isn't it? We don't yet know exactly how 
the WEC are going to allocate their LMGT3 entry. Uh, LMGT3, of course, is the new for 2024 class that will replace the current GTE-AM uh, class in WC with GT3 spec machinery. There is a common sense presumption that you limit it to two per manufacturer. Why common sense? Because there's, depending on how you measure it, 10 or 11 um, GT3 manufacturers. We would expect that most, if not all of those manufacturers, that's 10 or 11, by the way, by next year, if you include uh, the incoming Ford, the incoming Chevrolet Corvette, and at some point the incoming Toyota slash Lexus as well to come. So uh, if you add those together, there's not quite enough room for it to even two cars a piece on the grid for the FI World Endurance Championship. I think you'd have to be pretty hard to allocate three or four to one manufacturer and cut out two manufacturers. Uh, so to my mind, the kind of common sense way of doing this is to see whether or not you can build a grid around some stable top-line teams with two cars from a single make. As a, for instance, if you're looking for a Lamborghini team, frankly, why wouldn't you be looking at Iron Lynx uh, slash uh, Prima, who are there anyway with their Lamborghini um, LMDH car? Ditto with WRT and BMW. So, and, and ditto, of course, with Ferrari, I guess, for that, that matter. There are then a scale of other questions that begin to occur. Pure promotion and relegation, probably not. We don't have a franchise system in the in the WEC. There's a lot of the private teams would like that to be there, but we don't have that. I do think, though, that we should be looking at something that says, look, what's the contribution that's being made by those teams, those manufacturers in competitive terms, in terms of promoting the championship? They're going to be important moving forward. Again, it comes back to something we talked about just a little wee while ago. Uh, we talked about the tyre side of things. IMSA and WC differ in a number of ways. One of them is in the way that the um, sporting regulations work. Another is the commercial arrangements. We don't have those manufacturing manufacturer marketing fees in the WEC. It's done in a completely different way. But I think... WEC would be smart to move in that direction, mm. to look at what a GT3, an LMGT3 team, is bringing to the party. Whether or not that's in the way of star power, whether or not that's in the way of innovation in terms of the way that they communicate uh, to a wider audience, bring something with you that makes you stand out from the pack. Because here's the point, that will help them commercially, it's the kind of thing that a, that a watching audience absolutely loves to see, and it's what a championship looking to take that step forward should be looking for from its supporting class. No doubt the top class is going to be the story. No doubt whatsoever about that. But LMGT3, in an era where it's a second class, and it's all about brands that people recognise, has got a massive, massive part to play in terms of bringing in and retaining an audience so that people like me and Martin Haven and, and Davidson can basically introduce this competition without having to explain, with absolute due respect to the fabulous people I'm about to describe, what uh, an Orica is or a Ligier is or a Delara is. We don't really have to explain what a Porsche is. 
we don't really have to explain what a Ferrari or Lamborghini is. They bring with them their own fans, their own uh, the, the, the people that aspire to that brand. It's going to be interesting to see what the answer is on that front. And I think, again, that might be something that we start to hear about pretty quickly. They're going to have to be reasonably clear. There's already moves in the marketplace about what's going on with this. Um, but my guess would be they would aspire to have two cars from as many makes as they possibly can. Might one make get three? Possibly. Uh, might there be a, a brand or two that doesn't want to come to the WEC? Possibly. Um, but uh, by, from what I'm hearing, the vast majority of the brands do want to come. And there should be just about room for all of them. Mm. It'll be fascinating to see. It will. Is that the lot? That is the lot. I know there was a couple of questions, by the way, on Facebook and a couple of questions about the, the new appeals process with NASCAR and whether or not that might come um, down the line to him. So I don't think so. I think there's a pretty well-established uh, process with him. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think is is the answer there. With apologies, by the way, for uh, the late arrival of the call for questions this this week. That was entirely my fault. Uh, just overly busy with trying to get all of our logistics uh, in place for what's a very busy start to the European season. Um, so for the moment, I'm going to say thanks uh, to everybody that did send in the questions. Thanks, obviously, to a friend and colleague here, uh, Stephen Kilpie, is going to be getting to see a distressing amount of me over the last uh, the next three weeks. We're going to be travelling more often than we're going to be at home. Pray for me, listeners. Pray for him. Pray for him indeed. Uh, we'll say thanks to Daniel Summerskill, uh, even though we're studying down this week, because Daniel uh, was looking to get uh, things together for us in very short order. We will, of course, say thank you again to Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers, and to Toronto Motorsports. Dot com and we'll say thank you in his absence because without him there would not be a platform for us to speak on here to Marshall Pruitt. I hope he's enjoying uh, his IndyCar weekend. Keep an eye out um, online for everything coming your way on the IndyCar side from MP, uh, on the uh, WC side from uh, from Stephen, on the broadcast side from myself and the, the team at WCTV. We hope our radio link will be back uh, for the six hours of Portimao. Um, and keep an eye out too for what's coming on DSC and Racer.com on both uh, the IMSA with Tech Sports Club Championship around the streets of Long Beach and, of course, from Super GT and the season opener there. For now, he's been Stephen Kilby. I've been the bloke they call Graham Goodwin, because that's my name. This has been the Week in Sports Cars, part of the Marshall Pro Podcast, and we will speak to you next week.